Pace Line is produced by the Cycling Independent with the support of subscribers like you and additional underwriting from Shimano North America. We are community-focused, community-supported, and dedicated to the whole of cycling. Always remember, at the Cycling Independent, if you ride bikes, you're one of us. From the Cycling Independent, this is The Pace Line, the podcast on two wheels. I'm Patrick Brady, and with me is my co-host, John Lewis. Each week, we take a look at how cycling fits in our lives. Well, dude, uh, I have a couple little updates I'm going to begin with. Uh, Jennifer was listening to last week's show and uh, had an interesting little turn of phrase that she caught. She said, uh, only on a very good day do I find a post firmly lodged in my wazoo. We're going to yeah. stop there because this is a family program. Yep. Uh, also, I need to say hi to listener David, who I met on a ride some weeks back. Oh, uh, how about that? Yeah, I was. Uh, uh, God, I can't think of the name of the location. We were on this gravel ride. Actually, we'd been on a mountain bike ride. It begins with a little bit of a gravel ride. Then you get on the single track. Uh, Olali is the trail we were on. I come is down. that how you decide what ride a ride is by the terrain? I just call it whatever it was by the bike. If I'm on single track the whole time, but I'm riding it on a gravel bike, it's still gravel ride. <laughs> hmm. Yeah, maybe I think I, maybe I, yeah. my tail is wagging the dog though. Um, I I no, I think generally speaking, I am much the way you are. Yes, it's a gravel ride if I'm on a gravel bike. Yes. Um, right. We, to get to the trail, we had to ride this big gravel. Moving right along, um, we came down and um, I saw this really cool loaded Saluki uh, touring bike. And I'd forgotten that they were made by Rivendell, one of Grant Peterson's many little tendrils of other activity. And asked about it and got to talking with the rider there. And all of a sudden, this other person uh, who's on a very stylish uh, gravel bike turns and looks at me. These four people had been talking, so I invaded their conversation, right? I'm the guy stepping in from nowhere. Dude turns and looks at me and says, are you Patrick? And I was like, "Uh, yeah, he's like, oh, I'm I'm a pace line listener. Oh, how about that? Yeah. And he's like, you have a very distinctive voice. Um, so you're the one. <laughs> <laughs> I keep hearing that, that apparently I have a, an expressive voice. Uh, oh. But uh, yeah, you know, these things happen. We, we uh, or at least I meet listeners from time to time. And it's just such a delight because uniformly they've been awesome people. Well, they're cyclists. Right. Yeah. I mean, it's not a universal selector for good people, but it's a right, good start. Yeah. You know, it's it's something related to the all squares or rectangles, but not all rectangles or squares. That's right. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, I don't I'm not going to push that one too far, uh, but we like cyclists. So sure. Yeah. Yeah. Um, how, how's uh, it's uh, 
not quite mid-October. Um, that's yeah. that's a special time in New England. The fall is upon us. Dar- I, Darktober, we call it. It's where you start waking up, but it's your alarm goes off, but it's still nighttime. What? Yeah. Yeah. What sorcery is this? Uh, it's but, unkind. But it is unkind. But I will say I really like the crisp starts. Uh, there are leaves uh, beginning to litter the ground. Mm-hmm. The, the, this is the magic period right now where the trail is still visible. It's not yet buried in leaves, <laughs> which makes things challenging. So it's really nice riding time right now. Uh, all of the places that make apple cider donuts are making <gasps> apple cider donuts. Oh my gosh, I miss Atkins Farm. Yeah, oh. which is good. Uh uh, on the downside, uh, people are spraying pumpkin spices on everything. <laughs> I don't know why. Pumpkin um, is delicious, but it is not a spice. That's correct. That is correct. Um, yeah, that is correct. But I've been I've been playing um, the linguistics game too much lately to get too deep into that one. Um, candy corn is on sale at the drugstore. I will have sale? a review. Yeah. I will have a review of candy corn coming up uh, soon for everyone's reading pleasure. That'll be on the site. Uh, what, what is it fall there? What is it? What does that even mean where you are? Um, OK, so in Sonoma County. Fall, uh, well, particularly the month of October. This is as good as this place ever gets. And let's just mm. be clear that Sonoma County is never really awful, except when it's on fire. Um, but, uh, the air is a little drier. There is a little bit of crispness. The mornings are frequently foggy and cool, but it burns off into the seventies or maybe even the eighties. Uh, we want to be careful about any times it gets on up into the eighties or even the nineties. Uh, cause that spells fire danger. Um, but our, our highs lately have been in the seventies. Um, it's it's been damp it was uh, a little misty beyond just foggy this morning but actually a little misty i love it i i just i adore this time of year being on single track out in west county say 11 o'clock in the morning i there aren't many things in my life that are better than that right yeah, I yeah. think uh, it's the same here. It's the same here. Uh, a lot of times the dew is converting to fog uh, over the meadows and to be out, out riding in that is really yeah. magic. It It is. I would yeah. say it's the small things, but maybe that's not even a small thing. Maybe that's a big thing. Uh, and it's just been relegated to smallness. I don't know. Well- you know, I think you've just touched on one of the core concepts uh, that underpins the pace line, the cycling independent, going back red kite prayer, is that a lot of your effort and my effort as writers have been to um, place a truer sense of how we value these things. Um to elevate their value and their worth within our lives. So yeah, I'm with you. Yeah. I was saying to someone just the other day, I forget what the, the um, context was. Uh, I was on a trail that was quite near. Oh, I was, I was talking with the uh, skate photographer and 
general man about town and accomplished cyclist Mickey Vukovic, ah. um, who is also a TCI contributor. Um, Cheers, Mickey. We were just talking about uh, how so many motorists just don't even know that the trails that are maybe maybe 20 feet, maybe 50 feet from where they're driving their car, they don't even know that the trails in the woods are there. And yeah. they're missing out on this thing as they blaze past. And aren't we lucky that, you know, like we live a life that's oriented that direction and not necessarily uh, towards a more point A to point B existence. You know, in a fewer future episode, uh, hi folks, welcome to our editorial meeting again. Uh, I want you, I mean, this may be an ordinary thing to you because you live it every day, but I would love for you to do a, a poll in a future episode where you talk about how in Eastern Massachusetts, there is this network of trails that passes between homes and behind businesses and around schools. And, <laughs> and it, it's, um, it's a little bit like, uh, the, uh, the delivery service in Thomas Pynchon's the crying of lot 49, uh, you know, the muted bugle uh, where there's this network throughout Eastern Massachusetts that no one knows about unless you know about it. Yeah. It's yeah, the con the connector remarkable. pieces are pretty yeah. magic. Yeah, they're like little little like little wormholes that lead to other galaxies. But yeah, I'm, I, mean, uh, I would love to talk about that. I would love I, to talk about that. I, there's not much about the greater Boston metropolis that I envy in terms of your life. It's a special place. But I I really uh at this point in my life, I'm up to here on big cities. I can't do it. Uh, it makes me anxious for some reason. But I seriously envy you the ability to ride from Worcester to Harvard, Harvard Square, uh, only crossing pavement, never actually being <laughs> on the road. Uh, I, it's, it's just, that's magic to me. I, I really envy you that. Yeah. Yeah. Who would have known that um, uh, the leftovers of 16th and 17th century farming would be uh, so optimal for a 21st century cycling life? Yeah, we're OK. We've already gone too far down this rabbit hole. Yes. Uh, sorry, folks. Yeah. So end of the meeting, please. Why don't you jump in? Well, I want to talk about the future uh, today, maybe a better future. Uh, and this okay. goes back. This goes back to the time when I was more or less completely living by bike. Uh, I had a car, but I didn't use it much. I didn't yet have kids that needed to be delivered places. Mm. Uh, I guess I used the car to grocery shop and not much more. Mm -hmm. um, back then, I was in a headspace that allowed me to see just how much of our living space uh, was devoted to cars. Mm -hmm. And actually, before I go any further, I don't want this to turn into sanctimony. I'm just like everyone else. I'm in the car a lot these days. Part of that is necessary because kids and life and stuff. Part of that is just inertial. My brain defaults to car a lot of the time, just like it does for most people in our society. 
even mm-hmm. though I'm an ardent cyclist. So I don't want this to be preachy or whatever. I just this is I'm just describing a headspace uh, and of and a vision of the future here. Um, so so you've, you've got roads, of course, uh, mostly paved with rock that is bound together with asphalt or tar. Which yep. and those and those things uh, come either from crude oil or coal. OK. That stuff is terrible and it's everywhere. And it's there mainly for cars. Yeah. Then on many roads, you have parking on both sides. So it's not just the traffic lanes. You've got uh, you've got this even wider toxic surface and parking is just storage. It's only Uh, there. It's only there for storage. You've got gas stations with these massive underground tanks of a varying degree of um, soundness. Uh, you've got mechanics, uh, you've got garage, uh, you've got parking garages, which are like walk-in closets for cars. That's like storage on another level. It's a lot of space and a lot of not carbon efficient infrastructure. And that's before you even delve into the car itself, its components and its toxic output. Mm -hmm. So I want, I want to repeat now, this isn't sanctimony. I'm participating in all of this same stuff. You've only stated objective fact. I think so. This is just trying to step back from the status quo situation and trying to see it for what it is, because we're Mm -hmm. in it. Right. We don't we don't evaluate it that much because it's just how we live. Mm -hmm. None of this existed 150 years ago. Sure, we had we had roads uh, and many of them were ankle deep in animal manure, which was its own problem. But this whole petro infrastructure is new to humanity. We managed without it for a really long time. Yeah. And this isn't this is not to say I don't want to be Pollyanna. This is not to say we can just shut it all down now because that would be better. Although it might. This is just to try to see the enormity of the situation we've created. Mm-hmm. Um, and then there's a future, which is what I like to think about. I can't imagine personal mobility becomes a non-issue. Um, so a lot of this space is still devoted to moving humans around, probably. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. But how could it be less toxic? I mean, cars will hopefully move toward renewables. I, they have to. I don't know how they're doing that, but I don't have that degree. Um, w- will road surfaces evolve toward non-toxic substrates? Will the way space afforded to transportation be revised so that maybe biking is safer and storing your bike where you're going gets easier? How would we go about shifting the value perception so that more people come to believe in pedaling instead of driving? Would less solid roads, say we move to a porous paving paradigm. Ooh, I didn't even mean to say that. Porous paving <laughs> paradigm. That's fun. Anyway, yeah. <laughs> sorry. <laughs> word guy. Would less solid road, like a, would, a, would those things uh, that are maybe rougher encourage more people to seek alternative transportation? Like, is part of the problem we've made driving too luxurious? Um, <laughs> right? Like, oh, this road is nice and smooth. And if there's potholes, we're like, this road is terrible. I mean, is it? It still goes where you want to go. Like, what are your actual expectations? <laughs> uh, and I get angry about a pothole, too, but 
I don't know any of the answers to the questions I just asked. And obviously, I can only really try to evolve my own approach to getting around. Mm -hmm. But I love to think about that future and try to see the bike's place in it. And yeah, on some level, I like to believe I'm better prepared for it than a lot of people. Mm -hmm. Uh, Though I'm mindful that humanity is consistently wrong about what the future looks like. So I probably am, too. Um, do do you ever daydream about these things? I I do. As a matter of fact, um, uh, some, some period back, I was on one of the various dating apps and they have a bunch of questions they ask. And there's a question about, do you daydream? And I was like, yeah, I'm a writer. It's an occupational hazard, you know? Um, so to your question though, um, some years back, uh, the Wall Street Journal's car reviewer, Dan Neal, he used to be at the L.A. Times and he won a Pulitzer Prize for criticism uh, for his review of the Mini Cooper. Uh, it didn't go to some essay about an artist none of us have ever seen or, you know, some literary theory by, you know, some guy who thinks Noam Chomsky's an idiot. It wasn't weird and esoteric. It was the funniest car review I'd ever read in my life. Uh, and Dan Neal is an insanely good writer and continues to do that. But he, he pointed out one little inevitability, uh, involving, uh, self-driving cars. Um, and my mind didn't just jump down the rabbit hole. Um, I got weights, to help me drop down it as quickly as possible. And I started musing about this. And ultimately what happened was I wrote an essay um, that went to South by Southwest uh, when they had a call for futurist essays on the ways that society will change. Um, And I did publish the piece on Red Kite Prayer and looks like I might need to revive it for the Cycling Independent. All this is to say... (laughs) thank you for the positive nod there. Um, all this is to say that, yeah, there are some very, very interesting implications of what's happening right now. Um, and things that are sort of easy to guess because economic factors will drive them. So we're going to reach a tipping point on self-driving cars at some point in the future. It, it might be 2035, it might be 2040, it might be 2030. Uh, but at some point, there are going to be a lot of self-driving cars on the road. And the economics of those are going to make the economics of owning a car kind of stupid. Uh, they're going to be so affordable on a per-trip basis that owning your car just won't seem like a good use of money. Um, their, their ease of use, uh, and the fact that, you know, like you can, uh, work or, you know, play a board game with your kids or do whatever in a vehicle, the insides of vehicles are going to start to look different even. Um, but the, the thing is there will come a point where there are so many self-driving cars on the road that insurance companies are going to jack up rates on people who are still driving their own cars 
Because if you have an accident, they're going to look at the 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 video footage of what took place because we're going to have everything recorded between dash cams and, you know, government city cams, whatever. They're going to have great evidence of what took place and they're going to be able to say, oh, you were the driver. You screwed up. You're paying for this. Uh, and so the economics of a car owning one, it's just going to go straight down the tubes and there will be an enormous shift in society at that point. We won't have Uber drivers clogging the roads anymore. Uh, we won't need all that space for parking cars because for the most part, the only cars on the road will be the ones actually, you know, delivering people someplace. You won't need a driveway at your home. You can set up the jump ramp and leave it set up. <laughs> Another foreshadowing of future content. Yeah. Uh, yeah. So, uh, it, it, you know, to get back to your question. Yeah. I, I'm yeah. I daydream about these things. Yeah. Yeah. I look forward to that future, which is nice. It's nice to look forward to a future. I honest to goodness, 50 years from now, we're going to look at this period of American history and go, Wow, those poor people living through that. I mean, I think we're going to look at this the way we looked at, like, you know, 1931, deep in the Depression. Yeah, I think that could be true. I think that could be true. I mean, I, I go back to, like, when I was about, I don't know, five years old, one of my neighbors, actually, two, two brothers lived, they were older, they were ad young adults, let's say, and they each had a Corvette. Oh, gosh. Yeah, this was the 70s. You know, statistically, statistically, one of those cars was destined to be totaled. That the 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 uh, I forget the actuarial table or whatever it is that insurance companies use uh, to insure Corvettes. Fifty percent of all Corvettes get totaled. Wow. So I anyway, didn't I brothers. didn't know. Yeah. So these brothers, they lived down and, and I, I was I as a kid, I was like, oh, like race cars. So cool. And I went over to their house one day, um, probably by bike, uh, and uh, one of the cars was there in the garage. The door was open and it was idling and it was just churning out this horrible smell. And even at five years old, I, I, I saw this smoke rising from the back of the car into the air and I thought that can't be good. And I just think like, <laughs> you know, the clarity of a young mind is remarkable. Yeah, I think we've learned lived through a century of just ignoring the fact that like we're, we're putting toxic fire into the air all the time. Mm. There, by the time we are adults, there's so much that we've been inured to, you know, so much yeah. that we've been. Uh, it's not so much the cost of doing business as it is just the cost of society. We've we've yeah. been desensitized to so much that, yes. Our five-year-old selves would go, uh, that's kind of dumb. Right. And our adult <laughs> selves are like, well, it's the way it must be. <laughs> <laughs> or or uh, even when it's more pragmatic of like, I, I'm not tilting at that windmill. You're not yeah. wrong, but yeah, above <laughs> my pay grade, uh, above my frustration level. Yeah. Thanks and have a good day. That's right. <laughs> uh I, do, do we sound hopeful yet? I feel hopeful. Okay. 
Okay, then yeah. we can take a break now, and we will be back in just a minute. Back in 1991, I rented a mountain bike for Fat Tire Bike Week in Crested Butte, Colorado. I'd been on a bike tour prior to this, so the only shoes and pedals I had were for the road and were clipless. What I quickly learned was that, A, clipless pedals on mountain bikes were a very good idea, and B, the difficulty of starting on a steep incline told me that creating a pedal that engaged on either side would be important. I figured, cool concept, but no one will ever make that. Color me amazed when, a year later, Shimano introduced the first two-sided clipless mountain bike pedal, the SPD. One look at the pedal told me they had figured out the very thing I thought no one would ever sort out. 30 years later, and my preferred pedal for mountain biking is still the Shimano SPD. They are so effective that I use them for my gravel riding as well. This is just another instance of Shimano seeing around the curve. Okay, we're back with the Paceline podcast on two wheels. What are you pulling for us this week? Uh, we may not laugh quite as much in this poll. Uh, this okay. week marks the fifth anniversary of the Tubbs and Nuns fires here in Sonoma County and Napa and Mendocino counties too. Uh, such an anniversary wouldn't be... I'll say especially relevant to our audience beyond the fact that at the time, I believe I missed recording one episode of the Pace Line, if not two, due to being evacuated. But, and I'm sorry that this is kind of a long sentence for a podcast, but uh, Red Kite Prayer Readers and Pace Line listeners stepped up when I put out a call for pre-worn clothing. Uh, I'll get to that. To go back and recap for everyone who didn't have the misfortune to live through this, on October 8th, 2017, Diablo winds began blowing out of the east. It's generally reported that the winds began blowing that night, but honestly, I can tell you they'd been blowing all that day. Um, that night, some of the high, high passes in the Mayacamas Mountains, which divide Sonoma County and Napa County, recorded wind speeds in excess of 100 miles per hour. Uh, the Tubbs fire began just outside Calistoga um, and was immediately blown west into Sonoma County and Santa Rosa. And the Nuns fire began some hours later uh, up in the Mayacamas, just south of Santa Rosa. I have learned to limit just how much I go back and review from that time. Only recently did I begin to appreciate that what I experienced constitutes trauma and I've got PTSD where the smell of campfires is concerned. Are concerned? Uh, I'm not going to go into how many deaths there were or the billions and losses that the area suffered. But I'll say this. Santa Rosa lost 5% of our residential housing in under a week. Uh, at that time, because this is such a desirable place to live, only 2% of our residential housing was available to rent or buy. Uh, so we went to negative 3% housing availability um, in just a few days. Relocation became very interesting. Um, uh, the fires burned for something like nine days. I was evacuated for almost two weeks. Uh, there was no power at my place. 
What I learned in the weeks that followed was that a number of my friends, all cyclists, because pretty much all my friends are cyclists, uh, had lost their homes and most or all of their cycling gear. Most never had a chance to leave with even one bike. Uh, When the first checks came in from the insurance companies, most of the riders I knew went out and bought one bike, one helmet, one pair of shoes, one pair of bibs and a jersey. That was it. Um, Now, for those of us who like to get out on a daily basis or near daily basis, you can't get out daily with just one kit. So I asked readers and listeners to send used clothing to me. Uh, what people sent was incredible. There were shorts, bibs, tights because it was fall, short sleeve jerseys, long sleeve jerseys, windbreakers, jackets, arm legs and knee warmers, helmets, socks, cycling caps, base layers, uh, oh, cycling shoes, um, and even toys because some folks figured that riders have kids too. Uh, I was sent so much stuff that I had to use the garage bay next to mine to store it all. Um, And our management company was okay with that. (laughs) Uh, There were more than 20 bins of clothing organized by type of piece and size. Also, um, an eternal thank you to Andrea Wells, who helped me organize this stuff. We began as friends and would go on to date for more than a year after that. Uh, what I got myself into is the real source of the trauma I suffered. Uh, there's a thing that I didn't know about where if you're a competent adult who pays your bills on time and you suffer a big loss, the only quarter you're really comfortable getting help from is your insurance company because you've been paying them money. Getting help from family is a bit of a humiliation, or it's at least humbling. Getting help from friends is super humbling, humbling of an order that is hard to describe. In order for writers I knew to accept the clothing that readers and listeners sent, each person I invited over, and there were more than 50, needed to tell me their story of getting out. The act was somewhat cathartic for them, I think it made the experience more real and it helped justify in their minds that they really did merit help. Uh, Here's how much people didn't like uh, receiving assistance. I had people take uh, two, two pairs of bibs, a couple jerseys, maybe a pair of gloves. And then they would say, Oh, I want to leave stuff for other people. And I'd have to point out, dude, you are the other people. This is here for you. Take what you want. Take what you need. Uh, I have to make this all go away. Uh, I often say of that time that after meeting with someone, getting them clothes that fit, listening to their story, validating the horror of it. I had people describe to me the sound of hot water heaters exploding and car gas tanks exploding and then allowing for tears and hugs. When I walked upstairs from my garage, the only question in my mind was whether I was having beer or wine. I've checked in with some of the people from that time and am in fairly regular contact with a few others. Uh, So five years later, some have moved away. Uh, Some have uh, left the area, but some have left the state for Idaho, Kentucky, Tennessee, and Texas. Some have yet to rebuild or are just now getting started. Some bought homes in a different part of town. Uh, I consider them the lucky ones. Um, And honestly, a number of people simply don't want to talk about what happened. 
and I can't blame them. Uh, there was quite a bit of clothing left over. And when the Kincaid fire happened in 2019, I was able to pass some of the leftovers to friends who lost homes then. Um, also, I owe a big shout out to the folks at Perlazumi and in particular, Andrew Hammond, uh, who sent me photo samples to give out. This was brand new clothing with tags. It had been worn in a photo shoot and that was it. Um, the folks at Industry 9 also sent us stuff, uh, including some beer for me. Um, I went on to sell uh, most all of what was left over and the proceeds went to a NICA composite team here in Sonoma County known as the A-Team. Oh, a couple of people sent whole bikes. Uh, uh, yeah, two, two mountain bikes wound up with uh, the A-Team as well. Um, so with that said... I'm not sure there's much for you to comment on here, John. Uh, so I'm just going to skip to the important part, which is I need to say thank you to everyone. Thanks for sending stuff. Good. Good. It's good to have these things in the rear view mirror. We yeah. hope. Yeah. Uh, it, October is now kind of a double edged sword. If we're not burning, sure. it's the best thing ever. But it's also the time of year when we're most likely to burn. Mm. Yeah. Um, that's, a, that's a dichotomy that I never would have guessed. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, we'll just move on to Paceline Picks now. Sounds great. Um, this week, I'm going to pick another tire. I think I picked tires last week. I'm picking another tire mm -hmm. this week. It's the Schwalbe G1R gravel tire. Oh, yeah. R stands for race. This is billed as the, billed as the race version of the G1. I guess, I guess because it rolls well, uh, I'd say, uh, and I've tried a few of them, it strikes the best balance between rolling fast and gripping well, at least for me. You can certainly get knobbier gravel tires, and if you're the type to ride mostly single track on your gravel bike, a.k.a. underbiking, then you <laughs> might look at the G1 Bite or even the G1 Ultra Bite, uh, which are names I really like. I, I, yeah. I crap on a lot of the names manufacturers come up with, but I like the G1 Ultra Bite. I wonder if, if they have someone who's not German naming their tires. I would guess. Um, or they're doing direct translations, which are awesome. Uh, Unintentionally yeah. awesome. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, for me, I like something that's a bit more versatile than a super knobby uh, tire. I ended up I ended up riding, riding my gravel bike everywhere all the time. Uh, mm -hmm. So I like a tire that transitions to road without without a big penalty and without sounding like I'm riding a monster truck. <laughs> yep you know what i'm talking about probably yeah. the best thing about schwabby tires is their suppleness uh a lot of mm -hmm. gravel tires especially the boxier ones can feel stiff uh but schwabby's super race carcass that's what they call it i don't know if carcass uh, this is why i think it's direct they're doing direct translations because <laughs> i don't know if you carcass want to talk about a... the tires carcass yeah that's a that's a a noun that doesn't turn up a lot no. Uh, anyway, their, their super race carcass, it, it rolls <laughs> sweet and it transitions nicely in turns. I, I've always really liked it. 
Um, they're, they're, these tires are comfortable like a pair of, like a nice pair of shoes. Mm. Mm. Uh, as I hinted, the G1 comes in seven different flavors. There's the... Good grief. The race, the bite, the ultra bite. I'm not going to name them all. There's an RS. Uh, there's a PQD. No, I'm name, making things up now. Um, this is not to mention the Schwabi X1 gravel tire. So there's there's something there for everyone. The G1 all around is meant to be their do-everything tire. But for me, it's not aggressive enough. It's just a straight file tread tire. Mm-hmm. And if I'm going to run a file tread, it's going to be a 32 millimeter one, because if you're opting for speed, just opt for speed. Just, you know, <laughs> just go all the way. That's fine. Um, you know, I, I, the, like the Gravel King, like the 32 millimeter Gravel King. That's a good fast tire. Um, and so is the G1 all around. If you're just trying to rip around all the time. To me, that's not how I ride a gravel bike. I'm going to be on single track, but I'm also going to be going to the drugstore. Uh, <laughs> for a 40 millimeter do everything gravel tire, I like the G1R. These are $88 each, but I think you know you're going to need two of them. Right. Right. So we'll call that $176 uh, plus the applicable tax in your state. I would be very curious to have you review the Donnelly Sports USH. It's essentially have- a file file tread type tire uh i i have reviewed it in the 40 millimeter width i adore that tire i mean it's it is aggressive is not something anyone would ever accuse that tire of um there's not a lot to it but what i have learned um is that because it's so wide and the footprint so big it really has remarkably good traction and it rolls crazy well. I have I have uh, ridden it uh, and I have enjoyed it. Um, I opted for I think it's a great tire. Uh, I think the Donnelly tires Donnelly sports mm-hmm. that used to be called Clement Clement, which is a better name, I think. Sorry, Mr. Donnelly. Or Mrs. Donnelly or <laughs> King, Mr. King, Queen, yeah. Yeah, whoever that is. Sorry, I think Clement was a better name, but uh, I have ridden those tires a lot. I like them. I like the Schwabi slightly more because, as I say, it's just got this suppleness. Uh, another tire I really like, and we're just, we're we're um, we're gilding the lily here with tire uh, stuff. But I <laughs> really like the WTB Nano Race. Uh, mm-hmm in the 40, which is an, a more aggressive tire than the G1. Uh, but it has this high center line, so you can get really pretty technical on it, uh, dirt-wise, uh, but then <laughs> also get around pretty quickly on it. Uh, that's another one of my favorite tires. But maybe we do a whole we do a whole thing about tires sometime on the site. Oh my gosh, that sounds fun. So, uh, so exciting. I'm, I'm Yes, this uh, is like that so, uh, that SNL skit where people say, "Next week, rice." <laughs> <laughs> you know, we're those nerds who are like, "Oh, wouldn't everyone love to talk about tires for an hour?" Sorry, sorry. Go on. Uh, What's your pick this week? But, um, I just, I just need to say that I think it's fun that there's so much going on in tires that there's always something to review because. 20 years ago, 
all the 23 millimeter clinchers out there were so yeah. close to each other. I just stopped doing tire reviews. None of them were sliding in corners. None of them, you know, cut more easily or, or less easily than anybody else, unless you got the super stiff, you know, with the Kevlar belt or whatever. The tires were just all so much the same that I just completely stopped doing tire reviews. And now you could, I mean, it would be a very boring site, but you could do a whole site that did nothing but tire reviews. (laughs) You could. I probably don't want to work there, but you could do it. (laughs) Yeah. uh, Same. Same. Yeah. 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 Uh, All righty. My pick is not especially commercial this week, but it does speak to necessity. Uh, My pick is the lowly measuring tape, but metric and cloth, just to be clear. Uh, I've needed a measuring tape for so many things lately, from measuring head circumference for helmet sizing uh, to the size dimensions of a wagon. That will come up in a future episode uh, to the size of a travel case and frame dimensions. Um, Like I say, I've had to do so much of this lately that I've been walking around with a small plastic one in my pocket. Um, yeah. Um, (laughs) it's, it's really been something I've had to measure how long tools are because I had TSA get upset with a bottom bracket wrench recently. Oh yeah. So come on TSA, uh, those guys, TSA, spend your time on better stuff. Yeah, you know, the thing that I always say to them is, you know, look, I need the plane to get there more than you do. I'm going to be on it. You're still going to be here. Yeah, Uh, I don't say anything because the the security theater of it makes me so irate all the time, but I don't want to go on a rant. I I enjoy being very cooperative, uh, but I also point out that, you know, like, yeah, you're you're keeping me safe, but let's try to bear in mind that I need the plane to get there. I have kids. Sure. Sure. Yeah. Sure. I, you know, uh, on a funnier note, I was once interviewed by a magazine, uh, about my work as a bike magazine, uh, as a bike mechanic. And, um, they asked what the one tool was that I never went anywhere without my response, a tape measure. Mm. Mm. It says something at how important I think fit is. Um, because, Comfort is not something to poo-poo. No, uh, it's interesting. So uh, we're we're recording today is Wednesday, and this uh, will episode will air tomorrow, which is Thursday, or it will be available for listening tomorrow, which is Thursday. And I have a piece that will be uh, uh, showing up simultaneously called the minutia. Um, <laughs> Wherein there's some discussion of millimeters and what they're good for, but this will be a nice pairing. I like it. Uh, Awesome. Awesome. All righty. Well, that's a wrap on another episode of The Pace Line. Uh, Before we go, I'm going to put in a plug for our other current podcast, Revolting, um, which, as we say, is a cycling podcast that is not really about cycling uh, with John and Steve Knievel of All Hail the Black Market. Uh, we're hoping you like it. And if you do, please subscribe on iTunes or Stitcher or wherever you get your podcasts. And I'm going to insert a little personal note here. I've heard a lot of podcasts and I've heard a lot of cycling podcasts. Um, 
And, uh, you know, I, I'm, I'm biased because I like you and I like Stevel. Um, but I really, really think you guys are doing something special with revolting and I'm proud to be a part of it. Oh, that's really nice of you to say. We try pretty hard. Uh, so it, it doesn't lack for fun. authenticity. Yeah. Yeah, that's for sure. At the very least, I promise good laughs. Uh, plentiful. You should also promise plentiful. Yeah. Yes. Yes. Uh, <laughs> all right. Uh, send us some questions. If you've got an idea or a question or even comments, heck, uh, please drop by the cycling independent and put a suggestion in the comments, uh, or reach us by other methods that people have figured out. Those are welcome. We hope you've enjoyed the show. And if you have, please leave us a good review on iTunes or wherever you get your podcasts. It makes us easier for other listeners to find until next week. I'm Patrick Brady with John Emlyn, Robot Lewis. Thanks for listening to The Pace Line.